This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Engaging and informative. Power Breakfast with TT on Power 98.7. Seven minutes before seven on the Power Breakfast. As I said, there's a legal tinge to the show this uh, uh, morning. So the Pan-African Bar Association of South Africa have called for equity in quality briefs for black lawyers. Babasa has questioned the concentration of quality legal work in members of one race and say that this has come at the expense of other races which are denied the kind of quality experience that will equip them for a competent, independent, racially diverse uh, judiciary. Babasa have also called out uh, the public criticism of Justice Mandlenkose Mota's uh, directive regarding the composition of legal teams that appeared before him on the 23rd of January 2024. Last week, Judge Mandlenko Simota, not last week, well, Judge Mandlenko Simota demanded that in a, an all-white group of lawyers explain why there wasn't a single black lawyer among them in a case which deals with black economic empowerment. Uh, Judge Mota demanded that both legal teams in the case make a 10-minute presentation about the failure to have a single black lawyer in the matter. Let's hear more from uh, the member of the Pan-African Bar Association of South Africa, uh, that is Advocate Vuyan Ngalwana, uh, Senior Counsel. Good morning to you, sir. Good to be speaking to you on this side of the X streets. Good to have you with us. Uh, Let me start with, uh, I mean, this call and this talk and this discussion about uh, equity in the distribution of briefs um, uh, is not a new one at all. Uh, but what seems to have brought uh, this uh, this uh, statement out from yourselves right now is what happened here with Judge Mandlenkosi uh, Mota here. Uh, it, it, in terms of what uh, where you are coming from here, because what Judge Mota has, seems to have done here has been termed in some as judicial overreach. Tell us why you, as a, you know, a Pabasa, believe that this is misguided. Yes, no. Um, we need to take a couple of steps back. The starting mm. point is a provision in the Constitution. Mm. It's section 174, subsection 2 of the Constitution. Now, what does that provision say? That provision says the need for the judiciary to reflect broadly the race and gender demographics of South Africa must be considered when appointing judicial officers. Mm. That tells you that the purpose is to have a competent, independent, and racially and gender diverse judiciary. Now, where does an independent, competent, and racially and um, uh, gender diverse judiciary come from? Obviously, it will come from Mm. an independent, racially diverse, and competent legal practitioner practitioners because that is the pool from which a competent judiciary is drawn. Mm. So it stands to reason that if you concentrate the quality work on one race or gender, Mm -hmm. then that only members of that favored race or gender will gain sufficient experience and proficiency in a given area of the practice of law or across the board in the various areas of the practice of law 
that will equip them for competent service on the bench. There is this this misconception that when black people talk about, when black legal practitioners talk about briefing patterns that are skewed in favor of white people, that we are saying Mm. that that there shouldn't be a briefing of white people, there should be a briefing substantially of black people, and that this is an entitlement mentality. Mm. It is not an entitlement mentality at all. Mm. One looks at this from a perspective of what the constitutional objective Mm. is. You wouldn't like to see in any country a judiciary that comprises primarily one competent race. Okay. Because that detracts from the, uh, the, the um, what's the word? That detracts from the, um, the representativity yes. of the judiciary. Yes. Now, and absolutely, I, 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 I get the, the, the framing of where you are coming from here. Isn't the difficulty here now that uh, in trying to build that uh, cohort or building that, uh, that depth of quality um, black legal practitioners who can act as judicial officers, um, you know, you as you say, you need a pool of uh, uh, lawyers, advocates that are getting the quality work as well. But that work, that quality work comes from private clients. It's not something that, uh, you know, can be controlled because ultimately the only people that you can hold accountable for briefing uh, lawyers of a certain hue are the clients themselves. How do you get beyond that? How do you get past that? Yes, well, I've I've heard that (laughs) many times. Mm. It's actually a misconception. Mm. It is very, very rare that the end client who pays the bill makes the decision as regards which specific advocates Mm. to be briefed in a matter. Mm. Clients are no wiser as regards which advocate is proficient in which area of the law. Mm. It's the firms of of attorneys that have that wisdom. Because traditionally, the, the bar is called a referral bar. Well, now it has changed with the advent of the Legal Practice Act, where you have advocates that are mm. trust advocates. In other words, advocates that are that can take instructions directly from litigants. But there are few of them. Traditionally, the bar is a referral profession. What does that mean? Mm. That those of us who are in the referral profession, our clients are instructing attorneys and in turn, the instructing attorney's clients are the clients, the end user client. Mm. And so the people who make that decision, who work closely with advocates, mm-hmm. are the firms of attorneys. Mm. Now, you're saying people have a right to choose which advocates to use. Mm. Correct. We have engaged both at the state attorney level and at the private law firm level with Um, with firms of attorneys and instructing Mm -hmm. attorneys, Mm -hmm. explaining to them what I just explained to you initially about Section 174.2 of the Constitution. Yes. This is not an issue to be forced. This is in the general interest of justice to ensure that the judiciary is capacitated with a broad spread Mm. of competent and independent judges. 
Okay. If that doesn't happen, the legitimacy of the judiciary is in danger. That's one thing. But yeah. secondly, Vegas. Before you carry on, before you carry on, and I beg your pardon yeah. to, to interrupt you, can I beg your indulgence here right. that uh, you stay with us? We are right up to news time. I'd like to wrap up our, our conversation after news because I also wanted to ask you about how the, the lawyers here in question responded to the directive from the from Judge Mota. All right. All right. Thanks so much. I'm speaking to Advocate Vianin Ganwana SC. We will wrap up our conversation after the latest news at 7. Nine minutes after seven. This is the Power Breakfast on a Wednesday morning. Thank you so much for staying with us. And still uh, with me on the line is uh, Advocate Vianne Galwana SSE. He's a member of the Pan-African Bar Association of South Africa. We are talking about the call for equity in quality briefs for black lawyers. Advocate Galwana, thank you so much for staying on with us I just want to pick up uh, uh, on this issue because here we're also not talking about just the quantity of briefs or number of briefs that are being directed to black council or black firms, uh, but we're talking about quality. How do you define quality in this context? Absolutely. Thank you, Tegas, for that very, very important question because the statistics that are thrown around by the Justice Department in particular are quantity-based. So in other words, they'll tell you they've Mm. briefed so many black advocates Mm. more than they have briefed white advocates. But what is the quality of those briefs? And I'm not being disparaging in what I'm about to say, but it's my my own perception of what a quality brief is. Mm -hmm. You will have, for example, people briefed in, um, in, in matters that are not of much substance. I mean, every brief is important. But there are certain briefs that prepare you for an upward trajectory in the practice of law. For example, there will be cases like intellectual property law. Okay. There will be cases in constitutional um, challenges to either legislation or defending it on behalf of the government. There will be review applications on the conduct of, um, say, the president or the executive or parliament and so on. Mm. There'll be review applications against the public protector. There'll be review applications about the conduct of SARS in determination of the Palapala case and so on. So those are the kind of quality cases that involve Mm. a broad spectrum of the application of law. Rather than doing simply um, uh, wrongful arrest cases, (laughs) <laughs> you know, and um, and things like the mm. road accident funds, which is focused in one area of law. Yeah. So that is what I mean by qualitative briefing patterns. Okay. It, it's it's actually ironic that a an organization such as the I think they call the Broad Based Economic Empowerment Commission, mm. which is at the center of fairness in briefing, would brief. A a hundred percent lily white. I was uh, about to ask who the briefing client was, uh, or who the client was rather in this case. Yes, well, my understanding is it was it was a matter that involved the uh, the broad based Black Economic Empowerment Commission. Mm. Now, the, that commission looks 
determines, among other things, things like fronting in brief in uh, in in the not just briefing, but yeah. in uh, in the allocation of work in the public space. Mm. Now, when you're responsible for that kind of thing, one would have thought that you would consider okay. who mm. or or the the race and gender of people to whom you allocate work. Mm. Which comes back to the earlier point that I was making about that now, if that whole mission that you are championing as a Pabasa is being undermined by the type of, I mean, clients such a, that you would expect better from, where are we going? You know, but just let's conclude on this note then. In this particular case, just to bring it back to the case in point here, Man, Judge Mandlenkosimota directed that the, he be given a 10-minute presentation on the makeup of a team of lawyers here. Uh, which was declined or refused. Now, what are the implications of that? In as far as a, is there any legal recourse for Judge Mota? I mean, is there some kind of inco- uh, misconduct on the part of the lawyers by refusing a directive from a uh, from the judge? And then, just secondly, also the how do you start to draw lines here to say, you know, on one case you may appear before a judge uh, acting on behalf of say a woman in a divorce matter i'm just uh, uh, for the sake of argument and then i turn around and say but why am i seeing a male uh, advocate instead of a woman acting on behalf of this black woman here well let, both of them are easy questions to answer but mm-hmm. let me let me start with the first one okay it's it's quite unfortunate you you shouldn't have a, a legal practitioner, quite frankly, you know, blatantly refusing to comply with a directive issued by a judge. Mm. A judge, in terms of Section 173 of the Constitution, is the boss of his or her court. Mm. He decides how to run his court. He decided judges routinely issue directives on things that have got nothing to do with the merits of the case. There is nothing new in this case. So you ask, what could be the possible implications of Mm. this? Well, I would hope that the advocate concerned would know that what he has done is improper. Is it misconduct? And report himself Mm. to to his or her bar counsel. And that the bar counsel would make a ruling on this issue on whether this is the the sort of thing that its members should do. Does it amount to misconduct? Well, in my view, absolutely. Mm. In fact, it's, it's, it's worse than that. It's contempt of court. Mm. Mm. Even the judge can take recourse against counsel for doing that. Yeah. The judge also can report the counsel to, um, to his bar counsel or can ask the counsel to report himself to the bar counsel. That's usually how these things are done. Mm. Now, um, as regards your second question, mm-hmm. Um, of judges. I, I think I've answered it in part yes, because mm-hmm. judges have a right to run their courts. But can I just say this in passing and uh, finally, um, um, because yes. this is a point that is most missed by uh, especially lay people. Mm. Quite apart from skewed briefing patterns posing a danger on the legitimacy of the judiciary mm. when it comprises judges of one race of competent judges as a result of being the preferred race for quality briefs, there's another danger, Mm. and it is this. The quality of the judiciary may be adversely affected 
because in order to achieve the diverse composition of the judiciary, mm. as required by the Constitution in Section 174.2, the Judicial Service Commission will feel constrained to recommend candidates of a different right. race who have not had the quality brief that prepares them for competent mm. service on the bench. Now, this will be done, of course, in order to achieve the diverse judiciary. Mm. But appointing, and this is the important point I wish to make here, appointing people on the bench simply for the race balance mm. is not in the best interest of the quality and legitimacy Absolutely. of the judiciary. And so the pushback on fair briefing patterns is really ill-informed and not in the national interest. Okay. What we want to see is competent black, white, Indian, colored, male, female, non-gendered, etc. judges. Judges who are competent and happen to be black or white. Mm. Not just to balance the thing by just appointing black judges because Absolutely. the Constitution mm. says you must do so. The Constitution doesn't say appoint people on the basis of race. Mm. It anticipates that you will appoint people who are competent to do the mm. judicial function. But if you focus, this is, this is the thing that has to be emphasized. Mm. If you are focusing the quality of briefs in one race, right. you are subverting that object of the Constitution. Mm. Advocate Ngalman, I'm going to have to leave it there, even though there's so much more I wanted to traverse with you. Perhaps uh, we can leave that for another time. Thank you so much uh, for staying on beyond the time we'd agreed. Sure, you're welcome. Uh, Advocate Vian Ngalwana, Senior Counsel, a member of the Pan-African Bar Association of South Africa. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.